I want you to think back with me to your very first paycheck. Not the first time you made money like mowing grass or babysitting or house sitting or any of those, but your first real from an HR department, who is FICO and why are they taking all of my money kind of paycheck, right? Like, think back with me to that job. Some of you, uh, minimum wage at the time might have been 30 cents, um, but no? Okay, sorry. That was, should have been more sensitive. Some of you, minimum wage at the time might have been 75 cents an hour, but, um, but think back with me to your very first job and your very first real paycheck, and somebody just shout it out. What was your first job? Anybody? Anybody? None of you have ever worked. Cool. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. Just newspaper. Anybody else? Anybody else have their first job? What? Dairy Queen? Walmart? gift wrapper. Awesome, awesome. So we all had that first job, right? Mine was at the Summit Hills Country Club as a busboy in the restaurant, and it was as thrilling as you would imagine it to be because it was misery, right? Like, I I guess I was the first person to have ever worked in such a fancy restaurant who wore a size shirt extra large because the shirt, like, barely fit. Like, I'd have to breathe in to button it, and the neck button would never actually button, and my manager at least twice a shift would come over and be like, Mr. Stroop, we button all of the buttons on our shirt. And I'd say, Mr. Manager, sir, we can't button all of the buttons on the shirt. And I would be like working my tail off for the whole seven-hour shift, sweating and carrying all the plates and clearing the tables and getting refills and doing all this. And I'd watch as the servers, you know, because you know how waitresses and waiters are. And they'd come around and they'd take an order and they'd type it in the computer and they'd, they'd have the busboys carry it out for them and clear it off and all of this. And it was, you know, fine. Like I knew I was 16. I knew it was my first job. And one day we we're sitting in the break room and I saw the, uh, the waitress pull out her tips and start counting the tips. And she said, I made, and I don't remember the number, but I remember then going back and thinking, okay, so I make 750 times 6, which was like 30, I'm not going to do the math in front of you because I get it wrong, right? <laughs> you just made a lot more money than me. And she was like, well... That's what happens when you're a server. And I was like, but I worked exponentially harder than you did tonight. I saw what you did. Most of the time you stood at the bar and flirted with the bartender while I did all of your work and you get all of the tips, but I'm hourly so I don't get any of your tips and you get all of the money and I have to leave, right? And it doesn't matter where you worked or maybe even where you work right now. It doesn't matter how many times the human resources people say, we don't talk about salary and money. Inevitably, you've had a conversation similar to that one, haven't you? Where you realize that somebody you work with or somebody you work around or someone you work for makes more money than you. And you see them and you go, really? You? And you think, I wish my last name was your last name. Because then my daddy could have given me this job too. Because that's your only qualification. Or you see them and you think, I don't know what college you got this degree from that people think is so fancy, but you don't know what you're doing. Right? Or you think, I've been here so long that they must think that they can do whatever they want with me. You, you've been there, haven't you? You know this feeling of, of knowing what it means To see someone else get something that you're pretty sure you deserve, right? 
Because it's only fair that the hardest working person, the most loyal person, the person with the most skill, the person with the most seniority should be the person who's the most highest paid, who's the most highly thought of, right? But the reality for so many of us is that we think that we deserve something and in, in actuality, we, we maybe don't. Let me, let me put it to you this way. All summer, we've been talking about the endless summer, and I don't want to admit this, but today is Labor Day Sunday, and that marks the end of the endless summer. Because after today, everyone kind of thinks fall starts, and everything shifts, and everything changes, and in my mind, it's a little sad because summer's over. And all summer, as we've been talking about endless summer, what, what we've been talking about over and over again is how important it is that we use the opportunities of, that things like summer present to us to reach out to the people we know who don't know Jesus. And we've talked endlessly <laughs> this summer about reaching out to the people we know who don't know Jesus. And we've talked about how there are 50,000 people within a 20-mile radius of this building who, if they were to die today, would know an eternity of suffering and torment because they don't know Jesus. And how it's up to us to be the people who share Jesus with them. And I know this because I've been around church my whole life. And I'm thankful to say that I've not heard it verbalized because I think that we're trained well enough as a church and we've caught on to this vision well enough as a church that it doesn't really happen because I think we catch ourselves. But I think there's this tendency at times to have a natural reaction when we have this conversation too many times. And the natural reaction of a church when you have a conversation about reaching the people who aren't here is to eventually have a conversation that goes like this. Okay, I get it. We're supposed to reach the people who aren't here. When are you going to start talking about the people who are? When are you going to start being thankful for the, kids, the people who are here? And, and, and maybe you've thought that and, and, and you haven't verbalized it and let's keep it that way. But maybe, maybe you've heard someone else say that. Maybe you've thought it. Maybe you've felt it. Maybe you've been to a church where they've thought that. But it, it happens because inevitably when you talk about reaching people who aren't here as a church, someone's going to get frustrated and think, you know what? I have been serving in Kidland for the last three years and Ben Stroop's kids have been in Kidland for the last three years and someone needs to give me a prize. Like, no one's laughing because everyone's going, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, but you know, like, like someone's going, hey, I've been going to this church for 25 years and I've never heard a sermon about how we need to be grateful for the people who sit in the same seat every week and write the same check every week and have the same attitude every week. Why is that? And it happens because in, what we do is we just kind of get in this moment where we're going, why aren't you thankful that I'm here? Huh? You talk about the 50,000, what about the 150 who are here? Can't you just be cool with us? Are we not good enough? And then what starts to happen is this word starts to creep into our vocabulary. And you could take any cuss word. You can take any dirty words. You can take words like Pendleton County or Nicholas County. You can keep those words. I don't care. You have to erase this word from your vocabulary today. And that word is the word deserve. 
Because what happens to too many of us too often is that we convince ourselves that we deserve something. The fact of the matter is we don't. Because what happens is because we've been somewhere around, because we've been somewhere long enough, because we've been loyal enough, we're pretty sure that we deserve something. We're pretty sure that just because we've hung out long enough, just because we've shown up enough times, just because we've said the right words, that because of that, then we deserve whatever it is we think we deserve, when in the reality, all any of us deserve is death. The only reason that any of us have any hope in anything else is because of Jesus. The only thing that we as human beings, because of the condition of our hearts, because of who we are, because of the because of the wretched, horrible people that we really and truthfully are when you get to the bottom of it, the only thing that we deserve is death. And I realize, like, I'm happy-go-lucky Ben who makes a lot of jokes, so when I say things like that, y'all are like, welcome to church. Sure glad we came today. Oh, boy. But I want you to hear me out when I say this, like, If you really examine the bottom of your heart and you really get to the depths of who you are and admit some realities about yourself, you will very quickly see that maybe I'm not as good a person as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not as kind as I think I am. Maybe I do spend too much time looking out for number one. Maybe I am too selfish. Maybe I am too greedy. Maybe I do think too, much, too many lustful thoughts. Maybe I, maybe I have lied more than I thought. Maybe I have been angry more than I realized. And, and I think for all of us this is true because then we get to a point where we realize that because of those things, because of how the condition of our heart, the only thing that we deserve is death. The only reason that we have hope is because of Jesus. And this is a a condition that happens to all of us. And if we become blind to realizing that it affects us, then it really starts to cause problems for for the entire community. In fact, it it, it affected a guy in in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 20, but there's a story in Matthew chapter 19 that kind of sets up where we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 if you want to turn your Bible there. But it affected this guy. We don't know his name, but his name is the rich young ruler. And it affected this guy because he was pretty sure that he deserved heaven. He had a lot of money. He had done a lot of good things with that money. And so he was pretty sure that since he had all of this money and since he had done a few good things, and since he had, in his opinion, been a good person, that because of that, that he deserved heaven. And so he walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, so I'm pretty sure I deserve heaven. What do I need to do to make sure I get there? And Jesus kind of goes, dude, you, you don't. And he says, okay, if you think you deserve heaven, then what you need to do to earn it is you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy's like, no, I'm good. And he walks away. But what happens then is a guy named Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples, hears this conversation and he gets nervous. Because Peter has given up everything to follow Jesus. He left his job, he left his family, he left his home. He's done nothing but walk around with Jesus for the last few years, follow Jesus, be committed to Jesus. And he says, okay, Jesus, so here's the thing. 
since we've given up everything to follow you, surely we deserve more than everyone else, right? And that's what sets Jesus up to tell this story. Because then Jesus launches into this story that happens in the book of Matthew chapter 20. And in this story, he explains something to Peter that I want to try and explain to you today. Because this story explains that nobody's really getting what we deserve. We're all going to get a reward. You see, there's a trick to the stories that Jesus tells. You've probably heard of them uh, as parables, and that's a, that's a good word to describe them. Um, in the Aramaic, the, the language that Jesus spoke, they were called mashals, and the mashal was a difficult-to-understand story. And oftentimes what Jesus would do is he'd tell a mashal, and then he'd walk away. And the reason for doing that is he wanted them to chew on the story and have some time to think about it and work through it and figure out what was going on, and then they would have to kind of come back to it and be like, I get it now. And so what I should do is read you the story and then walk off the stage, and we could all get to lunch earlier, but I, I don't have that within me because I'm not Jesus, so we'll talk through it together. Deal? Deal. All right. So it's in Matthew chapter 20. Now everybody's mad at me like, man, we could have gotten out early today. All right. It's in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And so what happens every day in, in Jerusalem or the normal town, wherever Jesus is telling this, this made-up story to teach them a point, the normal course of the day is that if you were a farm owner, if you were somebody who needed some help, you would go to the center of town, to the marketplace, to the busy part of town, and there would be this kind of section of downtown where there would be some people looking for work. Whether they had been laid off from their normal job or they were tradesmen who just kind of were in the off season or whatever the reason was, there were always people who were looking for work. And you would kind of get your pick of the, of, of the group. You know, if you went, you went about 6 a.m. and you were like, all right, I need some people to work for me for the day. The day was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, and denarius was a little higher than a day's wage. It was, it was what people needed to make sure they could survive the next day. Like, if you had a family and you were making a denarius, you were going to be doing okay. You could survive on less, but a denarius made sure everybody, you didn't have to worry. Right? So he, so he finds these guys, and he, at 6 a.m., says, if you come work for me all day, I'll pay you a denarius. And so everybody's raising their hands, they're puffing their chest out, trying to make sure it looks like they're good and ready to go. And he grabs a couple of the workers, and he says, fine, you're coming with me, you're going to come work in my vineyard today. But there's still a large group who he doesn't pick. And they just kind of stay there. They stay there because it's a different world in, in the first century. They stay there because there's no social safety net. There's no unemployment line. There's no soup kitchen. If they don't find some way to make some money that day, their kids probably won't get to eat the next day. If it's on day two of unemployment for them, it's getting pretty desperate. Day three, day four, it's going to be getting really bad. So what they do is they just kind of sit in the marketplace right there, hoping that at some point someone comes back. And they know they missed out on the denarius, but they want somebody to come back and at least ask for a half day, a quarter day, something. 
And so they're just sitting there waiting and hoping for someone to come back. But Jesus continues in the story and says, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They replied, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And so these guys might have spent 11 hours standing in the middle of town just hoping for a job for the day. They spent 11, maybe 7, maybe 6, maybe 4 hours just standing there just thinking, someone come by and give me a job. Someone come by and give me a little glimmer of hope that I can feed my family tomorrow. Someone come by and just give me something to hold on to. I mean, think about that with me. Think about the desperation that you would feel knowing how broken and how, how hurt everything is and just thinking, I just need this much to get through. Just give me something. Friends, when we talk about reaching people, we're talking about the fact that there are people of all ages and all stages of life waiting, hoping, and seeking. We have to be willing to say, I think I know what you're looking for. I think I know why you're standing right here. I think I know what it is you're hoping for in this moment. Listen, I know that, you know, you're kind of set in your ways. I know that you're starting out new in this career. I know that you're in a high school and you think you've got it all figured out. I know that you just retired and you think you have all this time ahead of you, whatever it is, there are so many different times in life when there are opportunities to look at someone and say, I think you're looking for hope right now, and I know the opportunity. You see, there's not an age limit on when someone can turn and say, Jesus, now. There's not a deadline. If they're still breathing, there is still hope. And so every time the, the landowner comes back, they say yes, because they will do whatever it takes to make any amount of money they can, because they have to find a way to scrape something together to feed the family the next day. And at least if they make a little bit, the kids can eat, and they can go hungry for a day, you know, like mom and dad, they, they, they've sacrificed before, but the kids need to eat, you know, or, or whatever it takes, whatever they need to do, they're doing it. But that's not the point of this story. The point of the story is what Jesus says next, and it happens in verse 8. And in verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and go on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and they each received a denarius. And this is important to note because you guys, you know, we work in 2017, it's the modern day, there's rules and there's laws and you get direct deposit or it's in a sealed envelope, you know, and like no one's supposed to know what you make or how many hours you've worked and all of those kinds of things. But in the first century, it would have been much different. You would have just been in a line and there would have been an accountant at the beginning of the line who would have said, Smith, John, one hour worked. 
But instead of handing him the equivalent of one hour worked for the day, he hands him one denarius. And then the next guy comes up and he says, Jones, Tom, one hour worked. One denarius. And so the guys in the back, the guys who got hired at 6 a.m., they're hearing this. And they're going, man, those guys got hired at 5. And they're getting a denarius. And so they're thinking two things. The first thing they're thinking is, we agreed to work for a denarius. But then the second thing they're probably thinking is, that means we're going to make bank today. If they're getting a denarius for one hour, imagine what we're getting for 12. But then the next group comes, the group that he hired at 3 o'clock. And he says, Cooper, one denarius. He says, Thomas, one denarius. And the group keeps going. And then eventually, it gets to the group that started at 6 a.m., And when those who came were hired first, and when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received one denarius. And there comes this moment when when they're mad. And if you think about it, in a way, if all you're doing is looking out for number one, if all you're doing is considering yourself, you have a right to be mad. You have a right to be indignant because this doesn't seem fair. Because you worked for 12 hours, they worked for one, you both ended up with the same pay. But this isn't how things work in the kingdom. You see, the point of the gospel isn't that everything's fair. The point of the gospel isn't that everyone gets what they deserve. Because if we all got what we deserved, it would be death. The point of the gospel is that all who respond to the grace of God are equal. And we must be careful not to measure our worth by what we have done or sacrificed. You see, this is key for us to understand that it's not as if we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you sat through six years of Ben Stroop's sermons. (laughs) Your mansion will be very large. It's not as if you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you served in in children's ministry for 44 years. Your mansion will be huge. You only gave 1% of your income the whole time. You live in a shack. Sorry. You see, the fact of the matter is the only thing that matters on the day that we pass from this life is going to be whether or not you committed to following Jesus. The only thing that matters is if at some point in your life you said, I will follow him, and you gave your life to Jesus, and you said, I publicly declare through the, through the waters of baptism that I give my life to him, and I die to who I used to be, and I'm raised up from the waters, and I become a new person, a new creation in Jesus, because I deserve death, but I want the gift of grace and forgiveness for what I've done and who I've been. That's all that matters. Because it's not about how long I've been there. It's not about how much I've done. All that matters is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. And so for some of us, when it comes to this conversation, maybe what we need to do first is examine our hearts. 
is examine who we are and examine how we feel. Because there might be people in our lives who we know don't know Jesus, but we think, you know what, they've done enough in their life that I don't really think they need to come to Jesus because, you know what, they they made some choices that really, they're gone. You know what, they lived hard. They're getting what they deserve. Well, the fact of the matter is that until we met Jesus, so were we. Because this is how the 6 a.m. workers felt. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us and who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It doesn't seem fair. I was on so many committees, and I planned so many meals, and I, and I did so many things, and I, and I sacrificed so many hours, and they did all of the good things, and the, or they did all of the fun things, and they lived wildly, and at the last minute, they got to change their mind. This isn't fair. But the point of the gospel isn't about what we've done. It's about what Jesus did for us. Soren Kierkegaard said, I am a poor wretch whom God took charge of and for whom he has done much more than I ever expected. That I only long for the peace of eternity. All I can do is thank him. Because for the reality for the employees that day is that they're getting paid more than what most workers were making in the day. A denarius was higher than the average pay rate. A denarius was more than they needed to make it through the next day. A denarius was a good salary for the day. But all of a sudden, it wasn't good enough when someone was technically making more than them. All of a sudden, it wasn't good enough when they thought they deserved more. They were happy to make it at 6 a.m. when they thought the other people were making zero. But then later when the other people looked like they were making more, now all of a sudden, eh, this isn't good enough. But the land in, landowner answered one of them, Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? I mean, did you catch that? He went back to each time and he only told the other workers, I'll pay you what is fair. He didn't promise them anything, but he still paid them a denarius. He said, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do as I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? He said, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And for some of us, this is a conversation that we don't necessarily want to have because all too often, this is a difficult conversation. It's hard for us to say, yeah, but that guy, yeah, you know, uh, you know what he's done, you know where he's been. But the reality of it is, is that following Jesus isn't a frequent flyer program. Following Jesus isn't a loyalty club. Following Jesus is about whether or not you've made a commitment to giving your whole life to him. And the reward, whether you do it the moment before you die or 80 years before you pass on, 
The reward is the same. The reward is forgiveness for a lifetime of sin in heaven. And so what we need to do is we need to find whoever we can to share that news with because there are 50,000 people in a crowded marketplace of our neighborhoods who are standing around waiting for hope and we're saying, I know the reward that you seek. I know what you're looking for and I have it for you. It's forgiveness. Here in just a minute, we're going to play a new song. And, and as we play this song, I, I'm going to challenge you because there's, there's three tables set up for you to have communion. And as you go to one of those three tables here over the next couple of minutes as Justin plays this song, I want you to listen to the words of this song because the words of the song are so simple. It starts off with, I held the nail and it was cold in my hands. But the chorus of the song is simple because it just says, forgiven. The reward, the pay, the promise that each, each of us have is the promise of forgiveness. Is the promise of an eternity, not of what we deserve, which is an eternity of suffering and torment. The promise that we have is an eternity of heaven. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take this time during this song and encourage you to take the bread and take the cup and take it back to your seat and listen to the words, and listen to the words forgiven and remind yourself that the reward that you've earned, the reward you're given is that forgiveness. I'm the 